Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers. Bang and Dang here once again. And a couple weeks ago, we had one of America's biggest mysteries in the escape from Alcatraz. And now we moved on to probably one of the even bigger American mysteries. What happened on November 24th, 1971? Thanksgiving Eve, too. Thanksgiving Eve? Is that such a thing? Thanksgiving Eve? Anything's an Eve. Whatever the night before. Monday Eve. Which is Sunday night, right? <laughs> and you remember, you remember last Monday Eve? <laughs> Monday Eve. <laughs> I don't. But what happened November twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one, in the middle of the sky, as somebody named Dan Cooper says, "Hey, got a bomb. Str- I got a bomb in my briefcase. I want money and parachutes. Money and parachutes. Of course, we're talking about DB Cooper. To this day, nobody knows where who he is." Where he went, what happened to him, did he live, did he die? I mean, this is another case of incompetence within our uh, justice system here. Not justice system, our uh, uh, law enforcement agencies. Because uh, they allowed so much stuff to happen. Yeah, Thanksgiving Eve, 1971, November 24th, a middle-aged man carrying a black attache case. Approached Ooh. the attache case. The hell's an attache uh, case? Approached the flight counter of the Northwest Orient Airlines at Portland International Airport. He identified himself as Dan Cooper. Oh, Dan the man. He used cash to purchase a one-way ticket on Flight 305, which was a 30-minute trip to north to Seattle. He boarded the aircraft, which was a Boeing 727-100, um, and took C-18C or 15D by another account. So here we go already. <laughs> he ordered a drink, which was bourbon and soda. Hey. Eyewitnesses described Cooper as being in his mid-40s, wearing a business suit with a black tie and white shirt. And all you Patreoners right here, I'm sure you've seen the sketch, but this was the official FBI sketch of ODB. ODB. Yeah, you know me. ODB. Yeah, you know me. Cooper, you see? Oh, dirty Cooper. Oh, dirty Cooper. <laughs> oh, dirty, oh, dirty bastard Cooper. Cooper. Right. Oh, dirty bourbon Cooper. Cooper. Oh, dirty bourbon. DB Cooper is on flight 305, approximately one third full, departed Portland at 2.50 Pacific time. Shortly after takeoff, Cooper handed a note to Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant situated nearest to him in a jump seat attached in the aft stair door. AFT stair door. Schaffner, assuming the note contained a lonely businessman's phone number. It's and like, not another one of these. Maybe if I get drunk enough tonight, I'll call <laughs> right. it. Mm. Dropped it in an unopened. Oh, dropped it unopened. In she her dropped purse. it into an unopened Open purse. purse. So it <laughs> fell on the floor and she kicked it to the back of her seat. <laughs> I don't know. There's, where there's like probably a whole pile of little <laughs> of, uh, bomb letters. Numbers, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, they never went through yeah, it. Yeah, the, 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 the guy. Like, well, the guy. The bombers it. are all like, well, damn. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Cancel mission, guys. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> she didn't read the note. We, we should have thought of this a little better. <laughs> Maybe next time we should just tell them. Right. That's what G.B. Cooper said. He said, you know what? She don't read it. I'm just going to right. yeah. And he did that very he, same thing. He, he leaned over to her and whispered. He goes, miss. Indeed. Uh, uh, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Well, Donald, she needs to look at the right. note no more. <laughs> like, it goes, hey, I have a bomb. <laughs> I got a bomb. Right. Uh, the note was printed in neat, all capital letters with a felt tip pen. The exact wording is unknown because Cooper later reclaimed it. And it's stupid. Not even why even give it to her. Right. Uh, but Schaffner recalled that it mentioned the bomb and directed her to sit in the seat beside Cooper. Schaffner did as requested, then quietly asked to see the bomb. She said, can I see that shit? And he showed her. I guess Cooper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cooper opened his briefcase long enough for her to glimpse eight red cylinders, four on top of four. 
uh, attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery. Okay. So, well, so far he's backing up his bomb credibility. Right. You think it was real? I don't know. After closing the briefcase, he stated his demands. He wanted two hundred thousand dollars in negotiable American currency, four parachutes, two primary and two negotiable American currency means meaning he wants to say how many twenties he wants, how many right. hundreds. Exactly. You want any fives with that? Mm. <laughs> right. How about some dollars? Nobody wants dollar bills, but I would like a few rows of quarters. <laughs> yeah, I got to do my laundry. Right. Uh, I have to wash my clothes once I land. Right. He wanted four parachutes, two primary and two reserve. And a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Schaffner conveyed um, Cooper's instructions to the pilots in the cockpit. Well, else where the pilots be? When she returned, Cooper was wearing dark sunglasses. He's like, oh, man, he forgot. <laughs> put his sunglasses on. He's like, shame. Remember. The captain, William A. Scott, contacted Seattle Tacoma Airport Air Traffic Control, which informed local and federal authorities. Mm. The 35 other pat 35 passengers. 35 other passengers were told that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed because of a minor mechanical difficulty. Mm. Northwest Orient's president, Donald Nyrup, authorized payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate fully with the hijackers' demand. Right. While the aircraft circled Puget, Puget Sound for approximately two hours to allow Seattle police and FBI time to assemble his parachutes and money and to mobilize emergency personnel. Hmm. Seems a little bit long for two hours just to get two hundred grand. I mean, literally go to the bank, get it out. I mean, and only two hundred grand. What year? Seventy one. What eight hundred? Eight hundred thousand nowadays? Equivalent? Equivalent to one point three million today. Oh, shit. So that's a hell of a, a hell of a score. He wanted a mill. He wanted a mill. Yeah. A mill. A mill. A mill. A mill. Right. You remember? Like, imagine back in the day, people like their goal was to get. A million dollars. Well, two hundred thousand, or a hundred thousand right. dollars. But a million dollars, you're rich. Yeah, you're a million dollars. You can literally buy anything. And nowadays, seriously, if you have a million dollars, you can be broke within a couple months. Freak, yeah. Ooh, wee, wee. <laughs> what, 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 what would be a million in nineteen seventy one? Six point eight mil, almost seven mil. Right, so you got a million. You got six, that's still not even that <clears throat> much. Six mil? No, I mean it is. You can live the rest of your life on a million dollars. Of course. Either or, um, a lot of money, $200,000 back in 71, 1.3 million. Anyhow, flight attendant Tina Mucklow, Mucklow or Mucklow, however you want to say it. I'm going to say Mucklow, right? Sure. Recalled that Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain. At one point, he remarked, looks like Tacoma down there <laughs> as aircraft flew above. Tacoma. Or in reality, he just seen Welcome to Tacoma okay. down there. <laughs> he also correctly mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive. He was like, you know, uh, McCord Air Force Base? 20-minute drive from the uh, Seattle-Tacoma Airport. She's like, I did not know that. That's good information. Shafton described him as a calm, polite, and well-spoken man. <laughs> he was a well smoking. He smelled smoking. Yeah. Hey, he well, smoked well. Well, he did smoke. He, smoked he did well. smoke. It seemed like he'd done it for a while. Uh, not consistent with the stereotypes, you know, enraged, hardened criminals, or take me to Cuba political dissidents, you know, which everybody else, right. is, all the pirates around the world, right. they're, they're like little assholes. Anybody that's pirating anything would be harder. The boat pirate, air pilot, or train pilot pirate? Obviously, plane. You think it'll be harder? Uh, 1971. I think that'd be the easiest. I don't think so. Boats. Easy. You're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there's within at least 50 miles. There's always some type of military vessel. Nah. Yeah, but they can't do anything. Open waters. It's true. As long as you're in international waters, right? Um, I don't think Interpol or nothing had existed back then, especially in the 70s and stuff. <clears throat> right. Maybe it did. I don't know. But what about trains? Trains. Yeah, but what are you gonna do with a train? It's not like you can turn left or something. <laughs> you turn left here. They know exactly where you're going. There's no steering wheel on this. <laughs> well, that'd be cool. People just drive trains on the damn road and shit. Put wheels on it. <laughs> they have wheels, clearly. <laughs> oh, wheels that turn and that are rubber, rubber, rubber. I wonder why they put trains on tracks. I mean, I obviously know why, but <laughs> what if they just gave all like trains and um, cars like big mud tires? <laughs> they could just go over all terrain and stuff. It can be a. Uh, uh, they're all terrain trains. It could be a hillbilly rap uh, video. That's true. Our big put, mud tires. Put mud tires on a damn. Uh, then you'd be seeing those hillbilly rappers with big old jacked up trains. 
in my jacked up train. Hillbilly mud tires on an eighteen seventies steam train. <laughs> Spinners on that uh, shit. But anyway, Muckle told investigators he wasn't nervous. He seemed rather nice. He was never cool or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. Why wouldn't you be? As Schaffner grasped the enormity of what was happening, Cooper reassured her. He ordered a second bourbon and soda, paid his drink tab, and attempted to give Muckle the change and offered to request meals for the flight crew during the stop in Seattle. Hey. A Mucklow asked Cooper if he had a grudge with Northwest Airlines. Cooper said, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Mm, just as, have a grudge. Have a, so we have no story on D.B. Cooper yet. I don't even know why he's doing this. Except for this guy who was apparently named Dan, Dan Cooper, and he bought a ticket. And he has he has a grudge against life, apparently. Right. FBI agents assembled the ransom money from several Seattle-area banks. Can't believe they need several banks. Only I guess is one million. But still, ten thousand unmarked twenty dollar bills. Were they though? So they weren't. They weren't unmarked. They weren't because most most with serial numbers beginning with the letter L. So that means they know exactly. And they're like, and where, the, where were the bills sent that were marked L? To Federal Reserve Bank, San Francisco. Sir, pretty sure all banks scan their money before they put it in the vault, so they know exactly uh, when. Right. Yeah. Right. And most from nineteen sixty three A or nineteen sixty nine series. So. Uh, and they made a microphone photograph of each of them. So how could how can they say oh, so unmarked the, bills? The letter L indicated insurance by the Federal Reserve Bank, so it's right. definitely on uh, record in San Fran, right? So it's definitely on record. So and then they took a microfilm photograph of every bill. Mm. So they weren't unmarked. No, they lie. <laughs> and how could DB Cooper be so stupid not to know that? Well, of course he knew. Not stopping him from going to a different country and spending them though. Spiritual Cooper rejected or anywhere until he gets caught. Right. Cooper rejected military issue parachutes offered by McCord unless they they uh have a system where they have to scan every bill like you get a check when you catch your check at a bank and scans it. With the store? Yeah. If every store had like a bill scanner and everything you paid, they had to put the bill through the scanner. It pops. And it pops up as Sir, you know, this come up in a bank robbery thirty years ago. Sir, your money's declined. That can't be. Try this one. It'd be like credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> nope, this uh, one can decline he's like, too. He's like, he's like, he's like, one more <laughs> one more decline. I'm a hat to alert authority. I'm gonna have to chop it up. <laughs> right. I'm gonna have to chop it. <laughs> Sit there and chop it up twenty dollar bills. <laughs> you go to a restaurant and the waitress comes back with chopped up pile of paper. <laughs> Sir, your 20s declined. I had to chop it up. FBI agents assembled this ransom money from several Seattle area banks, which we yeah, freaking so said now, already. He rejected the parachutes. We said it was all unmarked bills, but they clearly lied. Cooper rejected the military issue parachutes offered by McCord AFB personnel. Air Force Base. Yep. Instead, demanding civilian parachutes with manually operated rip cords. He's like, no, there's a freaking uh, dive store down the road. Called right. the dive store. He's like, I want to be able to. <laughs> it's actually called the dive store down the road. <laughs> He's like, I want to be able to actually like control where I go. Right. First of all. Yep. Well, at 528 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Cooper was informed that his demands had been met. And at 539, more than an hour after sunset, the aircraft landed at Seattle Tacoma Airport. Cooper instructed Scott to taxi to jet to taxi the jet to an isolated, brightly lit section of the apron and close all window shades in the cabin to deter police snipers. I don't think they would have taken out of him on the plane. I guess though, right? I mean, it could have done so much stuff here. That bomb was gonna blow up. Well, I'm sure he was right in front, so it blew up the both captains and the two was it two or four flight attendants. Uh there's passengers on the plane as well right now. Oh, yeah. After they, they let the passengers off, though, right? Oh, yeah. Why don't you get to that part? Oh, is it my turn? Yeah. Ah, Northwest Orient Seattle Operations Manager, L.E., uh, approached the aircraft in street clothes to avoid the possibility that Cooper might mistake him as an airline uniform officer. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that guy. He must be an airline uniform. That's an airline <laughs> uniform wearer. Uniform. I'm an air. Welcome, airline uniform wear. Anyhow, he didn't. He wore street clothes because he wanted to be as a police officer of the old airlines. And he delivered the cash-filled knapsack, which I don't understand. They put it on the little in the little knapsack, but wrapped it up, threw some cornbread. And, I'm uh, running away from home. Right, threw some cornbread and beef jerky in there. <laughs> Once the delivery was completed, Cooper allowed all passengers. Schaffner and senior flight attendant Alice Hancock to leave the plane. Oh, why Schaffner get to leave? Yeah, she I guess the, she was she the one. No, and all that. She didn't she, she freak was, out. She was the main one. She, yeah, yeah. She, she didn't freak out or anything. She, you know, 
Nice. And she wanted to see his bomb, so he was like, hmm. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I showed you my bomb. I right. let you go. You, let you, you tell go. the world you, what you, you've you, seen. You, you tell the world the size of my bomb. You tell them that it was the most magnificent bomb you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, the refueling process was delayed because of a vapor lock in the fuel tanker's truck pumping mechanism. Ooh, sure. Mechanism. Uh, yeah, right. You know, damn well, the FBI was like, tell them this. And blah, blah, maybe we can try to work something out. Right. The second truck was brought in to complete refueling. An FAA official requested a face-to-face meeting with Cooper aboard the aircraft. He said, he said, no. Denied. Cooper grew impatient, saying this shouldn't take so long. He knew it. We <laughs> had to fly over for right. two, two hours. Two hours circling. And in true dad mode, he sent a note to the crew saying, let's get the show on the road. <laughs> let's go. I'm ready to go. I will leave without you. <clears throat> Cooper outlined his flight plan to the cockpit crew. A southeast course toward Mexico City, he said. At the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft, because I want to go as low as you can go. How low can we go? He's like approximately 100 knots as fast as we can go, and about 10,000 foot. That's the as the, low as that, we can go. The, not the fastest, slowest. or the slowest we can go, <laughs> which is 115 miles per hour. 15 miles per hour to keep a big old thing up that in the air. That's or 185 kilometers an hour for all you overseas, well, everybody else but America, or 100 knots if you're a sailor. <laughs> That would be uh, 100, knot, 100 knots isn't the same in the air and on water. Yeah, it's called a knot. It's no, going to be no the same. One. It's 100 sea knots or water knots or whatever the fuck it is. Freaking I'm is. not a sailor, so I wouldn't know. At a maximum of 10,000 feet above, that's 3,000 meters, guys, altitude. Uh, he further specified that the landing gear remained deployed. He said, you keep those uh, wheels down, bud. Uh, the wing flaps be lowered 15 degrees, whatever that does. Does that help keep it float? What do you think? I don't know. Hmm. Wing flaps be lowered, so it's that. So it's dragging the air, I don't know, to make it slower. So it's not, I don't right. know. And the cabin remain unpressurized. You don't, don't you pressurize that cabin. First, yeah, because right. if he would have opened that door uh, with it pressurized, he probably would have flew out. He would have flew out. Yes. Right. Everybody that's not locked down. Mm-hmm. And it might have took their breath away. <laughs> Take my breath no, away. <laughs> <laughs> he's flying out. Take my breath away. But if he has his parachute, he'll do it. Those guys would uh better get those masks on quick. And hit that button. Shut door first. Anyhow. First officer William J. Ratajek. <laughs> Ratajek, check, check, check. That's the way it is. <laughs> right. Informed Cooper that the aircraft's range was limited to approximately a thousand miles under the specified flight configuration, which meant that a second refueling would be necessary before entering Mexico. He's like, mm, we ain't going to make it. Nope. They ain't going to let you fuel up again. He goes, you're right. I'm like, damn, I bet you they will. Not in Mexico. Well, well, not in Mexico. It's, right. got a ne- it's necessary before entering Mexico. Right, before Mexico. So Cooper and the crew discussed options and agreed on Reno, Nevada Ooh. as a refueling stop. Cooper further directed that the aircraft take off with the rear exit door open and its staircase extended. Ah. Well, Northwest Home Office objected. They said, objected. On what grounds? Right. They said, on grounds that it was unsafe to take off with the, air- with the aft staircase deployed. Mm-hmm. Cooper said, I counter that. And it's, it's, it's safe. But he would not argue the point. He said, eh, whatever. We'll lower it once we get airborne anyway. It doesn't matter. Approximately. So why would he? Right. Why would he even want to take off with it like that? Just because it's there, it's open. I guess. Unless he could have jumped off it. at a lower. Well, unless he couldn't get it open in flight, he was maybe concerned right. about. But he knew he could. Approximately seven forty p.m., the Boeing seven twenty seven took off with only Cooper, Captain Scott, Flight Attendant Mucklow, First Officer Aratizak, and Flight Engineer Harold E. Anderson. Um, 
he had to keep Mucklow in case he needed some more bourbons and sodas. True. Two F one oh sixes fighter aircrafts from McCord Air Force Base followed behind the airliner, one above it and one below. So Cooper couldn't see him. He didn't know they're there. A Lockheed T-33 trainer diverted from an unrelated Air National Guard mission. Also shadowed the 727. He's like, I'm running low. I got to turn back. Like, where are you going? Oregon, California state line, boys. Got to do it. The Lockheed T-33 turned back, needed fuel. Didn't make it very far. Well, just I don't to know the, why they didn't check their fuel gauge. And, and he only made it to the Oregon. Like, like we're not going right. to make it, guys. We're Oregon, California anyway. state line. That's where he made it to. And he's like, yeah, got to go. After takeoff, Cooper picked up his briefcase and told Mucklow to show him how to open the door to the aft staircase. He then told her to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit and remain there with the door closed. Nice. As she complied, Mucklow, <laughs> Mucklow observed Cooper tie, trying something. <laughs> hmm. I, I think he's trying something. Oh, tying something, yeah. my bad. Uh, possibly the money bag around his waist. At approximately 8 p.m., a warning guess. light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the aft air stair apparatus had been activated. Oh. That is a lot of A-words in a short amount of time. The aft air stair apparatus activated. Um, the pilots asked on the cabin intercom if Cooper needed assistance. Picked up his phone, the cabin phone, and said, no. Said, nope. Nope. Good. Good. I mean, it is a little cold back here. <laughs> Turn the heat up a little bit. <laughs> A little draft, right? This was the very last message heard from Cooper. The crew soon noticed a subjective change of air pressure. They're like, Uh, there's a change in air pressure here, bud. And there's also a light saying that the F door <laughs> is open. <laughs> like, yep, this confirms it. Yeah, approximately 8 13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement, Ooh. large enough to require trimming. To bring the plane back to level. He was like, oh, we got to trim this plane. So it went, and then uh, it went, right. At approximately 10, 15 p.m., the 727 landed with the aft air stair still deployed, Reno Airport. FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff, deputies, and Reno police surrounded the jet as it had not been determined with certainty that Cooper was no longer aboard. Like, he might still be there. But an armed search quickly said, he's not. Nope. He's not. Clear. Clear. FBI agents recovered 66 unidentified latent fingerprints aboard the airliner. The agents also found Cooper's black clip-on tie, his tie clip. How do they know it was this? Clearly, uh, somebody identified it. And two of the four parachutes, one of which had been opened and two shroud line cut from the canopy, obviously, to tie the money. Right. Uh, Authorities interviewed eyewitnesses in Portland, Seattle, and Reno. A series of composite sketches was developed. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So now the... uh, the investigation on um, identifying D.B. Cooper begins. Right. Local police and FBI agents immediately began questioning possible subjects. Or suspects. Yep. Subject, suspect, it's all the same. One of the first was an Oregon man with a minor police record named, you guessed it, D.B. Cooper. Contacted by Portland police on the off chance that the hijacker had used his real name or the same alias in a previous crime. He was quickly ruled out as a suspect, but a local reporter named James Long, rushing to mean an imminent deadline, confused and eliminated suspects' names with the pseudonym used by the hijacker. Right, we got that part. Right, a wire, yeah, okay, a wire service reporter, Clyde Jabin of UPI by most accounts, and Joe Fraser of AP by others. Oh, there you uh, go, not and others. <laughs> Joe Fraser and Clyde Jabin, Clyde Joe, Fraser Jabin, maybe went by all those names together at one point in time. It was Clyde Joe Clyde Fraser, Fraser Jabin. Clyde Fraser or Joe Jabin. Or CJJ <laughs> Fraser. Anyhow, they republished this air, yes. followed by numerous other media sources. Mm. As a result, D.B. Cooper became the most widely remembered pseudonym. So it did. A precise search area was difficult to define as even small differences in estimates of the aircraft speed or the environmental conditions along the flight path changed Cooper's projected landing point considerably. Right. An important variable was the length of time he remained in free fall before pulling his ripcord. Right. So how long did he how long did he free fall before he pulled? And how long did he float before he started pulling the cords to get a more downward trajectory? I mean, there's so many variables here. You don't know where this guy ended up. If he succeeded in open a parachute at all. What's the highest? What's the the height for uh skydiving? Ten thousand feet. That's well, why he wanted ten thousand feet. Well, there you go. Of course he made it then. Why wouldn't he? Well, the terrain underneath the today junior right hitting the trees and stuff neither of the air force pilots saw anything exit the airliner like we didn't see nothing Mm-mm. didn't even see it on the odds and it wasn't even on the radar 
nor did they see a parachute open. Right? It, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't on our IDAR or our radar. Right. Radar. We couldn't see any eyes. There was no parachute that we've seen. But guess what? It was the middle of the night. It's dark because they don't have street lamps in the woods. <laughs> they don't have sky lamps. <laughs> With the... <laughs> with extremely limited visibility and cloud cover obscuring any ground lighting below an airborne black clad human figure could easily have gone undetected. The T-33 pilots never made visual contact with the 727. An experimental recreation was Scott piloting the aircraft using the hijacking in the same flight configuration. Uh, FBI agents pushing a 200 pound sled out of the open air stair were able to reproduce the upward motion of the tail section described by the flight crew okay. at 8.13 p.m. It was concluded at 8.13 p.m. was the most likely jump time. Good for you guys at that moment. I don't think you needed to. I mean, right, I that guess, was already. I, I guess you have to be thorough right. and make sure it, uh, it's right. true, but yeah, pretty sure that's it. At that moment, the aircraft was flying through a heavy rainstorm. How was this the, the first time mentioned that it was raining heavily? Right. Well, at that moment, the aircraft was flying through uh, a heavy rainstorm of the Lewis River in southwestern Washington. So, right, he jumped over the Lewis River in southwestern Washington is what, they, what they're what uh, they figuring here, huh? Right. Initial extrapolations have placed Cooper's landing zone within an area on the southernmost outreach of Mount St. Helens. You're like, where do you think this is? It's right over here, Mount St. Helens, southernmost. Like, got it. A female southeast of Ariel. Ariel? 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 Clearly Ariel. Ariel? Ariel? Ariel, Washington, near Lake Merwin, an artificial lake formed by a dam on the Lewis River. Like, we didn't need that. Wait, is it Merwin, a um, Merwin? wizard? Or Merwin? Merlin? I don't know. Who's a wizard for what? Merlin. He's like a popular wizard. Wizard. I don't know anything about wizards. Search efforts <laughs> uh, focus on Clark and Cowlitz counties. I'm not a wizard connoisseur. <laughs> no. I'm not a wizard on wizards. Anyway. They said, let's search Clark County and Cowlitz counties and research every bit of it, encompassing the terrain immediately south and north, respectively, of the Lewis River in southwest Washington. So, like, we need to get this area, guys. Go check it out. See if you find any shrapnel of uh, uh, parachutes or any type of, uh, you know, anything. Anything <laughs> suspicious. There you go. FBI agents right. and sheriff's deputies from those counties search large areas of the mountainous wilderness on foot and by helicopter. Door-to-door searches of local farmhouses were also carried out. Other search parties ran patrol boats along Lake Merwin and Yale Lake, the reservoir immediately to its east. Okay. Uh, no trace of Cooper nor any of the equipment presumed to have left the aircraft with him was found. Was though. ever found, and they traced, and they went through air and everything. Everything. The mm. mm. FBI also coordinated <laughs> an aerial search oh. using fixed-wing aircraft and helicopters from the Oregon Army National Guard. Along an entire flight path known as Victor 23 in U.S. aviation terminology, but Vector 23 in most Cooper literature. Who gives a shit? That's a stupid freaking stat. Oh, that just shows how stupid people are. Why would it be? Why would they change it to Vector 23 just because they can't fact check anything, apparently? Right. From Seattle to Reno. So, I mean, come on. Anyway, they took a flight path between Seattle to Reno. Although numerous broken treetops and several pieces of plastic and other objects resembling parachute canopies were sighted and investigated, nothing, and I mean nothing relevant to the hijacking, was found. Mm-hmm. Shortly after the spring thaw in early 72, teams of FBI agents aided by some 200 Army soldiers from Fort Lewis, along with Air Force personnel, National Guardsmen, and civilian volunteers, Conducted another thorough ground search of Clark and Collitz County for 18 days in March, and then an additional 18 days in April. I wonder why the 18 days is, I think, 18 days is a cutoff. Uh, Electronic Explorations Company, a marine salvage firm, used a submarine to search the 200-foot depths of Lake Merwin. That's a uh, deep lake. Right. That's a deep lake. And it was a man-made lake, too? Wow. I don't know. Yeah. Merlin. Merwin. No. Yeah. Artificial lake formed by a dam. Yeah. Formed oh, by so a dam. So, yeah. And how deep was it? 200 feet. Wow. I like it. Yeah. Two local women stumbled upon a skeleton in an abandoned structure in Clark County. It was later identified as the remains of Barbara Ann Derry, a teenage girl who had been abducted and murdered several weeks before. Ooh. I mean, they're not finding any clues to this, but they're solving cold cases. Well, I guess at least they uh, found her. Right, but like we said in the previous attempts of looking, nothing was ever found. Of uh, 
the hijacking. Right. At this time, anyways, a month after the hijacking, the FBI distributed lists of the ransom serial numbers to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted large trash, trash cash transactions and to law enforcement agencies around the world. On the world. Northwest Orient offered a reward of 15% of the recovered money to a maximum of $25,000, which we discovered would probably be a couple hundred grand in today's money. So in early 1972, U.S. Attorney General John N. Mitchell released the serial numbers to the public. In 1972, two men used counterfeit $20 bills printed with Cooper serial numbers to swindle 30,000 from a Newsweek reporter named Carl Fleming in exchange for an interview with a man they falsely claimed was a hijacker. Safe to say Kyle, Carl Fleming got fired. Right. And, um, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He no longer worked for Newsweek after that. That's what happens when you try to be a reporter and get the news first and you don't have no information about anything. You just want to get it out right. there. Right, and that's what Eric... You deserve to be swindled for $30,000, Mr. Fleming. Right. Early months, 1973. With the ransom money still missing, the Oregon Journal republished the serial numbers and offered $1,000 hairs to the first person to turn in a ransom bill to the newspaper or any FBI field office. Seattle, the post intelligencer That's stupid. That doesn't even sound intelligent. Right. Made a similar offer with a $5,000 award. You're like, we can add more money to that reward than the Oregon Journal. The offers remained in effect until Thanksgiving Day, 1974. And though there were several near matches, no genuine bills were found. 1975. You were going to say ever, weren't you? I was going to. You were going to say ever. Ever found that year. Right. Well, all right. 1975 <laughs> Northwest Orient's insurer, Global Indemnity Company, complied in order from the Minnesota Supreme Court uh, and paid the airline's $180,000 claim on a ransom money. Oh, what? so they got their. Uh, oh, the insurance company had to pay it. Yeah. They recovered all but 20 G's of it. Right. So, I mean, good for them, I guess. Why wouldn't they recover all of it, though? I don't understand that. Yeah. Uh, subsequent analysis indicated that the original landing zone was estimate was inaccurate Mm-mm. scott who was flying the aircraft manually because of cooper's speed and altitude demands later determined that his flight path was farther east than initially assumed oh why would you say wait <sighs> wait and say that he'd be like wait we didn't take the route right. you guys are thinking additional data from a variety of sources in particular continental airlines pilot tom bohan who was flying four minutes behind flight 305 indicated that the wind direction factored into drop zone calculations have been wrong mm. possibly by as much as 80 degrees Ooh, that's a lot uh, this and other supplemental data suggested that the actual drop zone was south southeast of the original estimate in the drainage area of the Washogo River. Washogo. So now they they spent all that time. What it's been two years now. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are we in seventy four now? Seventy four. Um. So yeah, it's been all that time, and now they could have possibly, well, not possibly, they had the wrong area the whole time they were looking at the whole area. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> talk about a setback. FBI agents Ralph. Himmelsback wrote this. I have to confess, if I were going to look for Cooper, I would head for Washigal. The Washigal Valley and its surroundings have been searched repeatedly by private individuals and groups in subsequent years. To date, no discoveries traceable to the hijacking have been reported. So that stupid FAA agent is an idiot. I was looking at Washigal. And he was like, well, guess what? <laughs> We've looked for the past two years and we have found nothing. Some investigators have speculated yeah, but, uh, that uh, private individuals. I know they probably found all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Like, nope, nothing to see here. Oh, yeah, they don't, their they don't have stuff. the resources and shit. The FBI or something like that would to search 
thoroughly, probably. They, they buried his body and took all of his money. He was mangled by treetops. And then the, the parachute hit some trees and the cords wrapped around his neck and then he hung himself. Oh, geez. And then as he was hanging there, he was clawing at his neck so bad that he ripped his jugular. <laughs> Jesus. Let's cut your nails, D.D. Cooper. <laughs> right. Mm, Got to be prepared for everything, bud. Some investigators have speculated that in uh, the 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens could have obliterated any remaining physical evidence. You're like, dude, do you not realize Mount did St. Helens? Did you see just, the side of that damn mountain blow off? Do you just, think anything survived that? Nothing did. All right. On July 8, 2016. The FBI announced that it was suspending active investigation of the Cooper case. Citing a need to focus its investigative resources and manpower on issues of overthrowing <laughs> President Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, more urgent priority. It's true. The local field offices will continue to accept any legitimate legitimate physical evidence related specifically to the parachutes. Shoots. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here, buddy? Related specifically to the parachutes or to the ransom money All right. that may emerge in the future. May. Uh, the 60 volume case file compiled over the 45 year course of the investigation will be will be preserved for historical purposes at FBI headquarters in Washington. Will it though? Will it? And on the FBI website, mm. all the evidence is open to the public. Uh, to this day, to this day, nice. we can go and examine all 60 pages of the case file right now and set out on our own search for DB Cooper. Mm. Three major pieces of evidence were found on the plane. A black clip-on tie, a mother-of-pearl tie clip, an eight-filter-tipped Rayleigh cigarette butts, Raleigh, Raleigh cigarette butts, bud. At some time after hijacking, the cigarette butts were lost. The only thing with any type of DNA, if, right. they, if they had DNA on them. Hmm. Well, they didn't have DNA technology back then anyway, but they could have done it now. Uh, there might have been fingerprints on the old uh, tie clip. Right. Hmm. Partial though, and you can get mm-hmm. anything with partial. I can't get those partials. November 1978, a placard printed with instructions for lowering all aft stairs of 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington, well north of Lake Merwin, but within Flight 305's basic flight plan. Okay. Yeah, but still, it goes back. Why would he have that instruction instruction card when he asked? Unless she gave him a card, like that's how you do it. Obviously, and. Why would he leave that behind? He took the, the ransom note. Well, maybe he didn't leave it behind. Maybe it flew out of his hand or something. Maybe he died. <laughs> maybe he died. But you never know when you're going to go. On February 10th, 1980, 8-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River at beachfront known as Tina, or Tina, Bar, about nine miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington, and 20 miles southwest of Ariel. He uncovered okay. three packets of the ransom cash <laughs> as he raked the sandy riverbank to build a campfire. Hey, good for him. Good for him. The bills were disintegrated, but still bundled in rubber bands. Mm. FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. Two packets of $120 bills each and a third packet of 90, all arranged in the same order as when given to Cooper. And uh, Patreon people will take a look at the... Uh, Bills, the actual bills that they found there, pretty well disintegrated. Right. Those up with the black ones. Probably the ones on top, right. bottom, or whatever. Right. Most mold or whatever. Right. Discoloration, I guess. I don't know. Discovery launched several new rounds of a conjecture and ultimately raised more questions than it answered, obviously. Initial statements by investigators and scientific consultants were founded on the assumption that the bounded bills washed freely into the Columbia River from one of its many connecting tributaries. An Army Corps of Engineers hydrologist noted that the bills had disintegrated in a rounded fashion and were uh, matted together, indicating that they had been deposited by a river and opposed to having been deliberately buried. He's like, no, they just they they got stuck. And the old river action came through and was like, let's bury some bills, bury some bills, bury some bills. We're burying bills. And the river did that for a while until it was covered. And they were like, we, we buried, buried bills. bills. And boom, and they moved on. <laughs> moved on. Moving on. <laughs> that conclusion, if correct, supported the opinion that Cooper had not landed near Lake Merwin, nor any tributary of the Lewis River, which feeds into the Columbia well downstream from Tina Bar. It also lent credence to supplemental speculation uh, that placed the drop zone near the Washico River, which merges with the Columbia upstream from the Discovery site. However, 
The free-floating hypothesis presented its own difficulties. It did not explain the 10 bills missing from one packet, nor... Maybe you needed 100 bucks. Right. Nor was there a logical reason that the three packets would have remained together after separating from the rest of the money. Right. Physical evidence was incompatible with geological evidence. Mm. That, geolog- that pesky geological mm, evidence. Oh, FBI agent Himmelsback wrote that <laughs> free floating bundles would have had to wash up on the bank within a couple of years of the hijacking. Otherwise, rubber bands would have long since deteriorated and they would just be floating around. That is by the true, right. Rubber bands don't last forever. They don't. Uh, geological evidence suggested, however, however, that the bills arrived at Tina Bar well after 1974, well after. which was the year of a core. The, the year of a Corps of Engineers dredging operation on that stretch of the river. Geologist Leonard Palmer of Portland State University found two distinct layers of sand and sediment between the clay deposited on the riverbank by the dredge and the sand layer in which the bills were buried, indicating that the bills arrived long after dredging had been completed. Mm. So, oh, we got new evidence there. So they dredged the bottom of the um, river, mm. pushed all that old soil or that new soil on top of the stuff that was already there. Mm. Mm. So it means it had been there. No, wait. Right. Yeah, it got there after the dredging. Right. Also, they found the dredge soil on the bottom and then found new soil right, on top right. of there. Okay. Late 2020, analysts of Diet Toms found on the bill suggested that the bundles found at Tina Bar were not submerged in the river or buried dry at the time of the hijacking. Only diatoms? Only diet times that bloom during springtime were found. They're like, man, it's only been here for now very long. I think that's on the show um, Expedition Unknown. I watched that one. And yeah, he found like all sorts of like scientific shit. Dude. Right. There's like, there's only way this money was in this water. It had been months after hijacking. Something happened. Mm. Alternative hypotheses were advanced. Okay. Some uh, surmised that the money had been found at a distant location by someone or possibly even a wild animal Ooh. carried to the riverbank and reburied there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sheriff of Cowlitz County proposed that Cooper accidentally dropped a few bundles on the air stair and the bundles then blew off the aircraft and fell into the Columbia River. I think that's very possible. possible. It was one, only a knapsack. Right. One local newspaper editor conjectured that Cooper, knowing he could never spend the money, dumped it in the no, river or buried portions of it in a bar. He asked himself. for specifically asked for unmarked bills. <laughs> why, well, why would he why would he even pull off the whole thing if he wasn't planning on spending the damn money anyway? Stupidity. So you local newspaper editor are an idiot. Stupidity. Hmm. Nineteen eighty six. After protracted negotiations, the recover bills were divided equally between Ingram and Northwest Orient's insurers. Hmm. The FBI retained fourteen examples of evidence. Ingram sold 15 of his bills at auction in 2008 for $37,000. Good To date, none of the 9,710 remaining bills have turned up anywhere. anywhere. The serial numbers remain available online for public search. The Columbia River ransom money and the air stair construction placard remain the only confirmed physical evidence from this hijacking that was ever found outside of the aircraft. Crazy. Well, in late 2007, the FBI announced that a partial DNA profile had been obtained from three organic samples found on Cooper's clip-on tie in 2001. Should be a movie. Cooper's clip-on tie. Cooper's clip-on tie. Uh, Though they later acknowledged that there is no evidence that the hijacker was the source of the sample material. Mm. Oh, the tie had two small DNA samples and one large sample, said Special Agent Fred Gutt. It's difficult to draw a firm conclusion from these samples. They don't say nothing at all. There's nothing here. That's all you got to say. Not enough evidence to do anything, guys. Nothing. The borough, even, I don't even know why we told you guys. Right. The borough also made public a file of previously unreleased <laughs> evidence, uh, including Cooper's 1971 plane ticket, $20 hairs he paid in cash, and posted previously unreleased composite sketches and fact sheets, along with a request to the general public for information which might lead to Cooper's positive identification. So they gave mm. all that stuff public. Public. <laughs> right. They also disclosed that Cooper had chosen the older of the two primary parachutes supplied to him rather than a technically superior professional sport parachute. Mm. And that from the two reserve parachutes, he selected a dummy. So one of the ones that he selected was a dummy, an unusable unit with an inoperative ripcord intended for classroom demonstrations. Although it had clear markings identifying it to any experienced skydiver as non-functional. Right. Clearly he took that one for... He cannibalized the other functional reserve parachute, possibly using it to tie the money, obviously, and secure the bag to his body as witnessed by Mucklow. Uh, the FBI stressed that inclusion of the dummy parachute 
was accidental. Oh, we didn't mean to give it. Mm. Sure. Mm. Even though it was clearly, you guys just said it was clearly marked. Clearly marked. Clearly. Clearly. Marked. 2009, month of March. The FBI disclosed that Tom Kay, a paleontologist from Burke Museum of Natural History isn't and a, Culture, a, located in Seattle. Isn't a paleontologist um, dinosaurs? Paleontologists? Or well, they just dig up ground. They dig up, yeah. Had assembled a team of citizen sloths, including a scientific illustrator, Carol Abrazinskis. And metallurgist, 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 Alan Stone. Yeah, and he works with metal, and his last name Stone. (laughs) He should have been paleontologist, right? (laughs) Anyhow, uh, and Tom K should have been the metallurgist because then then K Jewelers came around. Gold's not a metal, though. Is it? <laughs> of course, it's a metal. It's not a metal. It's uh, a mineral. Right? Gold is a metal. Is it a metal? Obviously. You can't make stuff out of it. Of course, it. you can. I can make a pipe out of gold if I wanted to. You can't smoke out of it. <laughs> of course, you can. Why wouldn't you be able to? The group eventually known as know, the Depending Cooper- on what's, what's the melting point of gold. We don't know. The group eventually <laughs> known as the Cooper Research Team reinvestigated important components of the case using GPS. Ooh, GPS. Ooh. Stupid net. <laughs> Satellite imagery. And other technologies unavailable in the year of 1971 mm. when the crime occurred. Right. Although they gained little new, <laughs> they gained little information about the buried ransom money or Cooper's landing zone. They were able to find an analyst. <clears throat> they were able to find and analyze hundreds of minute particles. Minute. Minute. It's minute. Minute. They were able to find and analyze hundreds of minute particles on Cooper's tie using electron microscopic. All right. Lycopodium <laughs> spores, like from a pharmaceutical product, right. were identified. So he probably got like what? What is it? Adderall or something? Sure. As well as fragments of bismuth and aluminum. 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 Everybody has aluminum. Aluminum spawned on everything, isn't it? Alu- so, so it's bismuth. Aluminum. <laughs> bismuth. It's actually how you say it. Aluminum. A- aluminum. Aluminum. Aluminium. Aluminum. Um, in November 2011, Kay announced that particles of the pure unalloyed titanium had also been found on the tie. He explained Uh-oh. that titanium, which was much rarer in the 70s than in the 2010s, was at that time found only in metal fabrication or production facilities or at chem- chemical companies using it, combined with aluminium, right. to store extremely corrosive substances. Aluminum. Substances. Nice. Aluminum. Uh, the findings weakly suggested that Cooper might have worked in such a weakly. metal or chemical manufacturing. No, I'm going to say this lightly. <laughs> I'm going to say this with no conviction I'm say whatsoever. It weakly? What? You mean Wait, you're, you're, you're going to say this every, every week? week? No, I'm going to say it. Uh, <laughs> January 2017, Kay reported that rare earth minerals such as cerium and uh, strontium sulfide had also been identified among particles from the tie. One of the rare applications for such elements in the 1970s was Boeing's supersonic transport development project. Hell of a name. Suggesting that the possibility of Cooper of, of being a uh, Boeing employee. Maybe. Other possible sources of the material include factories that manufactured cathode ray tubes such as Portland firms Teledyne and Tektronics. So check those guys. See if you can find any cathode ray tubes and we can check that out. Right. FBI sketches of Cooper with age progression, as you Patreon guys are seeing. This is what he would look like um, whenever this was made. <laughs> right. Uh, over the 45-year span of his active investigation, the FBI periodically made the public made public some of its work in hypotheses and tentative conclusions drawn from witness testimony and the scarce physical evidence. The official, fis- the official physical description of Cooper has remained unchanged is now considered reliable. Mm. Um, flight attendants Schaffner and Mucklow, who spent the most time with Cooper, were interviewed on the same night in separate cities, gave nearly identical descriptions. Around 5 feet 10, 180 pounds, mid-40s, close set, piercing brown eyes, and swarthy skin. Ooh-wee. That's some swarthy that's, skin. That skin is swarthy. It's the swarthiest skin I've ever seen. That's some swarthy skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cooper appeared to be familiar with Seattle area, as he said, that looks like Tacoma, that looks like Washington. Tacoma. Right. And may have been an Air Force veteran. Based on testimony that he recognized the city of Tacoma from the air as the jet circled Puget Sound. And his accurate command command <laughs> and his accurate comment to Mucklow that McCord Air Force Base was approximately twenty minutes from driving. Uh 
from the Seattle Tacoma airport. And he said, did you know that the McCord air force base is about 20 minutes from the Seattle Tacoma airport? She's like, I did not, sir. And this is a detail that most civilians would not know or comment upon. Why wouldn't they know that? Anybody that lives within the area knows well, it's about a 20 minute drive. Yeah. But you would know from the air. Right. Eh. Right. Right. His financial situation was likely very desperate, according to the FBI's retired very. chief investigator, Ralph Himmelsbach. Extortionists and other criminals who steal large amounts of money nearly always do so because they need it urgently, obviously. Sounds like this Ralph Himmelsbach is not a very smart guy. Oh, no. Uh, otherwise, the crime is not worth a considerable risk, he says. Mm-mm. Alternatively, Cooper may have been a thrill seeker who made the jump just to prove it could be done. Clearly not the case. Shut up, Himmelsbach. Moron, dude. FBI is so trash. It's garbage. Always. Garbage. Always. Garbage. Ah. Agents theorized that Cooper took his alias from a popular French-language Belgian comics series featuring the fictional hero Dan Cooper, a real Canadian Air Force <laughs> a real Canadian right. Air Force. A real Canadian Air Force test pilot who took part in numerous heroic adventures, including parachuting. Dang, this Dan Cooper was some hoot, wasn't he? A hoot of a character. One cover from the series reproduced on the FBI website depicts test pilot Cooper skydiving in full paratrooper gear. Because the Dan Cooper comics were never translated into English nor imported to the United States of America. They speculated that he had encountered them during a tour of dirty, of dirty, <laughs> <laughs> dirty tour, <laughs> dirty tour, a, dirty tour. A, uh, a tour of duty in Europe. Okay, some more speculation. So I don't know. even care about evidence suggested that Cooper was knowledgeable about flying technique aircraft in the train. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Uh, he demanded four parachutes to force the assumption that he might compel one or more hostages to jump with him. Yeah. Thus ensuring he would not deliberately be supplied with sabotage equipment. Okay. Right. Yeah. He chose a 727 aircraft because it was ideal for a bailout escape, okay. owning not only to its air stair, but also to the high afterward placement of all three engines, which right. allowed a reasonably safe jump despite the proximity of the engine exhaust. All right. Without it sucking them up in there. Yeah, you know? Done, bud. Mm-hmm. Had a single point fueling capacity. It had a single point fueling capability. A then recent innovation that allowed all tanks to be fueled rapidly through a single fuel port. Well, good for them. It also had the ability, unusual for a commercial jet airliner at this time, to remain in slow, low altitude flight without stalling. And Cooper knew how to control its airspeed and altitude without entering the cockpit, where he could have been overpowered by the three pilots. Well, right. three pilots. Wow. In addition, Cooper was familiar with important details, such as the appropriate flap setting of 15 degrees. Which is very unique just to that aircraft. Okay. And the typical refueling time, which he knew. He was like, this is taking way too long. long. Let's get the show on the air. I'm a dad. (laughs) He knew that the aft air stair could be lowered. That could have been like, if that was today, they would have been like, look at that jokey or look at that phrase he just used. He's definitely got children. Right. Uh, He knew that the aft air stair could be lowered during a flight. A fact never disclosed to civilian flight crews Uh since there was no situation on a passenger flight that would make it necessary. Right. And that its operation by a single switch in the rear of the cabin could not be overridden from the cockpit. Oh, wow. Really? That's weird. That's kind of uh, a need to uh, update that, don't you? He also may have known that the CIA was at the time using 727s to drop agents and supplies behind enemy lines during the Vietnam War. Okay. Well, of course, everybody knew that, probably, mm-hmm. right? Assuming that Cooper was not a paratrooper, but was an Air Force veteran, Special Agent Larry Carr suggested that the possibility he was an aircraft cargo loader, such okay. as assignment, would have given him knowledge and experience in the aviation field. And loaders, because they throw cargo out of flying aircraft, wear emergency parachutes and receive rudimentary jump training. Okay. Such training would have given Cooper a working knowledge of parachutes, but not necessarily significant knowledge to survive the jump he made. Um, the FBI was skeptical of Cooper's odds of survival, concluding that Cooper lacked crucial skydiving skills and experience. Uh, we originally thought Cooper was an experienced jumper, perhaps even a paratrooper, said Special Agent Larry Carr, two R's, right. uh, leader of the investigative team from 2006 until its dissolution in 2016. We concluded after a few years this simply was not true. No experienced parachutist would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with 172 miles winds in his face, wearing loafers and a trench coat. It was simply too risky. Right. Wow. Well, maybe that's how he figured it's the only time he can. Right. He was willing to take the risk. He also missed that his reserve parachute was only for training and had been sewn shut. 
something a skilled skydiver would have checked. He also failed to bring a request a helmet. He didn't bring one or request a helmet. That's true. Chose to jump with the older and technically uh, inferior of the two primary parachutes supplied to him and jumped into a probable 15 degrees wind, 10,000 feet in the air. That's cold. In November. In November, over Washington State without proper protection against their extreme wind chill. Right, dude. This dude was freezing. Freezing. Holy moly. The FBI speculated wow. from the beginning that Cooper did not survive his jump. I mean, I don't know. You put it that way. I'm kind of down right. it now. Uh, diving into the wilderness without a plan, without the right equipment in such terrible conditions, probably never even got a chute open. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. um, said Carr. Even if he did land safely, agents contended that several that survival in the mountainous terrain on the onset of winter would have been all but impossible without an accomplice at a predetermined landing point. Uh-oh. This would have required a precisely timed jump necessitating, in turn, cooperation from the flight crew. Right. There's no right. evidence that Cooper requested or received any such help from the crew, Mm-mm. nor that he had any clear idea where he was when he jumped into the stormy, overcast darkness. Wow. Could have been anywhere. Could have been anywhere. Wow. Year is 1976. Discussion arose over impending expiration of the statute of limitations on hijacking. Most published legal analysts agree that it would make little difference as interpretation of the statute varies considerably from case to case and court to court. And a prosecutor could argue that Cooper had forfeited legal immunity on any of the several valid technical grounds. The question was rendered moot moot in November when a Portland grand jury returned an indictment in absentia, 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 absentia. An indictment of Amsterdam against John Doe, a.k.a. Dan Cooper, a.k.a. D.B. Cooper, a.k.a. Pirate Dan. They uh, they indicted, uh, a.k.a. Dan Cooper, for piracy and violation of the Hobbs Air Act. piracy. Right. The indictment formally initiated prosecution that can be continued should the hijacker be apprehended at any time mm. in the future. Mm. So they're saying, I don't even care. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. This dude will be sent to trial. Yes, sir. Between 1971 and 2016, the FBI processed more than a thousand quote unquote serious suspects, including assorted public publicity seekers and deathbed confessors. And uh, next week episode, we will go through each and every one of them as mm. there is literally a lot profiles of at least like 10 people that at least uh, all of these people that we're about to profile are, uh, Seriously, there's there's a case ex quote unquote experts. I've seen numerous shows on DB Cooper, right? Which I'm sure all I you guys have too. But uh, um, a lot of these guys, <clears throat> people think each one of them have a case. Somebody has a case that this these guys are right. him. So, um, we're going through a few of those guys next week, and uh, ultimately, I guess we'll form our own opinion on who we think it is, if it's any of them at all, and what happened. So. If we believe, did he? At this point, I'm kind of on the sketchy side of, no, I don't think he made it. Lean more towards he didn't make it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy stuff that happened now that they 15 degrees and all that With shit. the evidence we have been presented to us so far. Right. I'm at the lean towards. Lean towards. 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 Death. Death. Episode one, D.B. Cooper. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next week for episode two and all the suspects. And um, you guys want to see the show in video and unedited where this is going to be pro- probably about an hour long. We got about another 30, 35 minutes yeah, with, of, uh, I guess we did, I guess we call it like a um, reaction. Reaction. We did a couple reaction uh, videos of uh, some music we did. that uh, we did in the earlier portion for you Patreoners, bang dang doc, or patreon.com forward slash bang dang. We should start doing that. Good. Bang dang react. Patreon.com forward slash bang dang. You get this show unedited and in video as well as our Monday Night Watch Along video, Outlaws and Gunslingers video, and our newest show Battles of the American Civil War all on video all unedited patreon.com forward slash bang dang, $2 a month can't beat that, we'll be back we'll be back, we'll be back next week for D.B. Cooper part 2 where the Monthly Michiganders with bang dang.